Hey everyone, I'm Andrew, and you're listening to Small Efforts, a collaboration between Crit and Miss Grants. And hi, I'm Sean. Small Efforts is a show where we talk about cybersecurity, design, and the continuous small efforts it takes to build a business. Oh, a uh, small update mm-hmm. since this is a podcast as much about Andrew's cats as it is about agencies and cybersecurity. Mm-hmm. I think last time we talked about how we'd gotten a new kitten. Yes. And we were debating a name. So we now have a name for her. Okay. Would you like to know the name? I mean, yeah. Her name? <laughs> no, not really. No, no, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Her name is Stevie for Stevie Nicks. Aww, I don't know what that is, actually. Stevie Nicks is like a famous rock artist. She was the, oh God, wait, my mind just went blank. I don't know. Hold on. How do you spell Stevie Nicks? Is it N-I-K-S or? Fleetwood Mac. She was the like lead singer, I think, for Fleetwood Mac. Ah, uh, okay. How are things going for you? You're in San Fran No, right I'm now? in LA. LA. in LA. That's right. That's okay. You're good. I'm in LA. I'm in an Airbnb. Can you hear that? There's some very fancy plates There on are. The wall. There are. There's fancy mirrors and wallpaper. It's really, it's in Beverly Hills, which makes it sound way fancier than... It actually is. I am in an Airbnb. Went to go to LA to visit my long distance girlfriend. And yeah, it's cool because I get to see some people in SoCal that I normally see only over like Zoom. But yeah, it's good. It's really cold here. I think I'm dressed. Yeah, you're wearing like a puffy yeah. jacket with that. Yeah, I'm in, a, I'm in a windbreaker type of thing. I don't know. It's yeah, I think I have more clothes on than you do. And I'm still so cold <laughs> here. Yeah. Yeah. It's been super windy. I don't know. Is that just like normal October in LA? I've never... Is LA Southern or Northern California? Southern, Southern. Yeah, I would expect it to be really warm yeah, there. That's what I was told. Yeah. Yeah. Otherwise, it's fun. I've been here a couple days. Is Jesse making you actually like go out and explore and do things other than work and take time for yourself and have fun? Yes, but she's also studying very hard for law school. So that's right. less of that yeah. pressure. There's nothing great about being on a three-hour time difference than everyone else on the team. Actually, it's actually very stressful waking up at like seven <laughs> and realizing that it's already 10. And every, like I wake up around, because I haven't adjusted completely. So I wake up around like mm-hmm. five or six, check my phone. Like I'm tired. So I'll check my phone and I just see a slew of Slack messages because everyone else is already doing stuff. It's like, God damn it. And then I reply oh, to all of them and then pass out again and wake up around seven-ish to hop back on my computer and I don't remember some of the messages I sent to people. And I like go back and think like, was this a dream or did I actually? <laughs> but it's good. Yeah. We're uh, central and eastern time zones right now. Mm-hmm. And I'm still eastern time zone. And every now and then I'll send a message to someone and be like, why aren't they responding? And then be like, it's only like 9 a.m. there. <laughs> They're just chilling. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like They haven't gotten to their computer yet. No big deal. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, how's life? How's Crit? How are things over there? Crit's good. So by the time this comes out, it should be officially launched. One of our non-security clients who we've been working Mm -hmm. with for a couple of years, a company called Kosher Cart. They're actually based in New York City. So when you're back home, you can try them out. It's a kosher grocery delivery service. Mm -hmm. And we were working on a mobile app with them a couple of years ago. And then when the pandemic hit the sort of last piece of the mobile app was integrating with grocery stores, kosher grocery stores. Mm -hmm. And when the pandemic hit, all the grocery stores got super busy. And so no one had time to like work with us to set up an integration with their POS systems. Mm -hmm. So we ended up kind of pivoting with them and 
just quickly helped them stand up a nice Shopify store. Whoa. So they, instead of being just a delivery service, they ended up opening their own online-only grocery store and have been slowly gaining traction. They've had some really good months here and there, but they've wanting to launch the app and then wanting to sort of expand beyond groceries. They want to offer some like sort of kosher services and start to build kind of a platform. Like that's their vision is to build sort of a platform for the kosher community. But by the time they were ready to start building the app again, we had gotten really busy and the amount that they could spend didn't make sense with like how much work it was going to take to revamp the work that we had done for them originally Mm -hmm. because their business model had changed so much. And so they ended up finding a team who has worked They're partially here in the U.S. and partially overseas. They have been working off of a Flutter template. And we always do fully custom stuff. We don't usually use templates. But honestly, this has been a really good experience. So they basically gave us the template and we have made some design modifications and have worked with them to make sure that it adheres to the Kosher Cart brand and basically worked as sort of a designer and a tech partner on the Kosher Cart team. And then this team has gone and built it out and it's been really fast. And I mean, the app feels good. It's got me wanting to dig more into Flutter and got me thinking a little bit about just ways that you can push your prototyping capabilities and stuff like that. So it's been kind of a fun experience nice. and it's it's cool to see that live. And it's live in the App Store now. And by the time this podcast comes out, they should have done their full launch. So mm. that's been kind of fun to see. Nice. So what's going on in Miscreant's world? What's going on in Miscreant's world? So last time I told you that we brought on project manager. This time we brought on, did I tell you this last time? We did bring like a... I think you were sort of early in the stages of bringing on a second person, but I can't remember what the role was. We brought on a like producer. So video, audio video producer. That's right. Yeah. Just bringing a little bit more of that skill. Mm -hmm. Our video producer has a Spotify. It's not just video. So he is a like an artist, mm-hmm. and he's a Spotify. It's pretty good. And we are taking his audio creating ability, his song, his song and soundtrack creating abilities to maybe start a new piece of regular content that's interview-based, but we make a song for you at the end of it. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Do you want to elaborate yeah, yeah. on that a little bit more? It's or still is in the works. Still in the um, works? We just did our first test run. So we have like our first like soundtrack done. And this was just like like with me as like the pseudo guest, right? But the mm-hmm. idea is, yeah, I guess I could just hype it up here too. Sure. Since anyone is listening, if you work in security and want your own soundtrack, hit us up. <laughs> <laughs> I did an interview series and that was the first podcast a long time ago called Security Sandbox. And it was cool because it was like, mm-hmm. I got to meet people and talk to people and kind of hear their story and whatnot. This is that, but you condense the interview, you ask them some soundtrack related questions and we create a soundtrack based on, well, I guess like the the guest kind of briefs us on what they really want to use the soundtrack for. Like maybe they're a content creator and they want a soundtrack for their, they want it for their YouTube stuff. Or maybe they just want like a soundtrack that is kind of like a audio version of their story or their life or how they got into InfoSec. Basically, we're just making songs for people. And I think it'd be a cool, interesting spin on the interview. Hmm. If you ever watched like Kenny Beat's the cave by any chance okay yeah just think about it like that i have watched a couple of those yeah get into the booth and sing although i do think there's a lot of musicians in infosec and i think some of them rap there are and that'd be cool to also make happen (laughs) so is this going to be a 
piece of Miscreants branded content, like sort of a small interview series that Miscreants is launching? Or is this something you're doing for clients? No, this is a piece of Miscreants content. This is more of the bring security into the mainstream and build more of the cult, like add more to the culture of security or InfoSec and less of the creative Mm -hmm. agency client work world. But that being said, we now also have a lot of video and audio capabilities, like making like a brand sound or something. So I'm curious with the LinkedIn content, the LinkedIn video stuff that you're doing for your clients, is that going to be like interview style, talking head, or more like heavily produced? Or are you still figuring that out? For the most part. I think there's definitely value in kind of investing in even like studio shot. But I think that takes a lot more investment from the client side as well in terms of having people. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of executives in especially startups and security are content creators in the fact that they make a lot of conference presentations and they create all this like pillar content that just sits there on a YouTube channel and has like 400 views, right? Like instead, why don't we just chop these things up and start repurposing them for and distributing them through Twitter and LinkedIn and actually making use of the con- like the really good content that's already there. So very talking head, very much remixing old content, even just like having the founders or having the like the client just record, like I just have them talk into like a loom and then we take that and cut it up into something. And it's just three to 10 minutes of valuable content that generates more LinkedIn views. That's our current strategy. Cool. One of my friends was just pitching me on something kind of similar the other day. So he's been working on building a productized service Mm -hmm. for a while called Castaway. And their core service offering is if you're already creating video content or a podcast, they'll take that content and generate a transcript and a bunch of social content and basically just do all of the chopping it up and taking mm-hmm. the original piece and like coming up with a bunch of like sound bites and stuff out of that that you can then reuse nice. on different platforms. And he reached out to me. So shout out to James because I think he actually listens to our podcast, cool. which is why he originally reached out to me. But he pitched me on a new, like sort of slightly different spin on that, which is to basically just do an interview with someone on mm-hmm. your team, most likely the founder you know, once or twice a month and then have a writer take that interview and then just turn that into a bunch of social content and like a couple of blog posts and stuff. So kind of ghostwriting, but with a Mm -hmm. more social uh, media like focus. And I told him I was interested in potentially piloting it. I still have very mixed feelings about ghostwriting. Like Mm -hmm. it feels a little disingenuous to me, but I also know what a struggle it is for me to like make myself okay. regularly post stuff on social media. And so I'm like kind of willing nice. to experiment with it okay. and try. Well, if you don't want to be the pilot program, no. I want to be the pilot program. So, or yeah, I'm happy to <laughs> cool. both, I'll let them to know. both be pilot programs. Yeah, I've thought about at some point if we expand our nice. budget for small efforts that yeah. small efforts could be a, a good fit as well. Another piece of sort of content related mm-hmm. updates. So we've been... I say we have been. This week, I sent the first issue of a new sort of content-y experiment, but it's really not content in the outward-facing sense. So mm-hmm. I was listening to the Art of Product podcast, similar kind of two founders catching up style podcast with Derek Reimer and Ben Horowitz. Is that his name? No, sorry. I'm mixing up Ben's last name. But the founders of mm-hmm. Savvy mm-hmm. Cal. Yep. Yep. And Tuple, 
So Ben mentioned that he is working, has started sending like just sort of an internal newsletter to his team. So sending something once a week that just has kind of updates across the company. I can't remember exactly, but this is something I've been thinking about for a while. Because I remember about a year ago in, in an exit interview with an employee, one of the pieces of feedback that we got was that like, we are really transparent about some things, like some of the big stuff, like finances and salaries. But then we missed the transparency aspect in a lot of the little day-to-day things where like often people at the company like just mm-hmm. don't know that something's going on. And we tried solving that for a while with like an announcements channel in Slack. It feels like it's helped, but not really solved the problem. I feel like a more intentional approach would be helpful. So I'm still trying to figure out like what cadence I want to send these on and what all the the content is going to be. But this week I sent our first internal newsletter that's kind of like just a, a crit update to everyone on the team, including one of our former partners who has now left the mm-hmm. business but is still a minority partner. And so, yeah, so far I've only gotten feedback from two people on the team, but mm-hmm. uh, both have seemed to find it useful. So going to be trying to find the cadence and keeping that up and seeing if it's a useful thing. I was originally thinking weekly, but kind of thinking it might be smart to start more like monthly or twice a month, something like that. Something that I've seen that's been effective for some remote companies is instead of it being like a broadcast one to many, anyone can kind of send something to team at. Yeah. And so instead of like it being just a newsletter from like the CEO down to everyone, people can kind of like bring up new topics. I guess like Slack is also a good place for this, but I've seen it be really effective for like more disparate, large consulting teams that have like a consulting side and engineering side and whatever. And everyone's attached to this giant team app thing and can kind of pitch in and talk about certain items. Yeah. Probably not applicable to. Interesting. How would that work? Yeah. I mean, it kind of become like, so my experience in a previous startup had a kind of like team at, yeah, I don't know if I'm allowed to say exactly what it is. Anyway, they had a team at, and I do remember that my inbox was blown up all the time and I had to like mute it <laughs> and hide it. But I think it is cool to kind of have like a team at even. I can definitely see use cases where people want to forward like a newsletter they read, for example, or they're subscribed to, to everyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like, for right now, Slack does a pretty good job of like giving people a True. place to share things. Like we have a people post stuff they found mm-hmm. all the time in like the random channel on our Slack. And we have a win wall channel where we try to encourage people to mm. give shout outs to each other and stuff like that. Yeah. So I'm not sure having another channel there is really the solution. Again, I think what feels like it's missing right now is someone being really intentional about making sure yeah. that news and sort of updates are getting shared. And I think it would be hard for anyone other than me to do that at the moment. But eventually I want to fire myself from every aspect (laughs) of the business. So this is yet another job that I'm creating for myself that I will eventually have to. I think I kind of do broadcast within stand-up. But yeah, having something in email form is always really nice. Especially when it's like a letter, kind of almost like a letter from you type of thing. And I'm sure writing is always a little bit better at communicating certain ideas and thoughts. So cool yeah yeah i'll be curious to see how it continues to work if it continues to be helpful or not but first one was Mm. fun to fun to write and again only two people have (laughs) given me any feedback yet which is classic is your mom Um, on that so far positive uh see my mom is not on the mailing list although i have thought about reaching out to a couple of like 
friends yeah. who are not technically on the team, but who have been yeah. following us for a while to see if they want to want to get the updates. It's like shareholder updates, but they're care holders. Kind of, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's awful. I'm not using that. No, go home. But actually, that is kind of what I think yeah. before I heard Ben talking about it, we are a mm-hmm. small shareholder and a past client. And so we get cool. their shareholder updates. We get their like their investor updates. And I find mm-hmm. it really useful and interesting. And so I nice. basically modeled this after one of those. And I'm like, you know, this is probably a useful cool. thing for me to write on a regular yeah, basis. I think so. I think so. Yeah. Cool. I'm saying that I'm going to steal that idea. But the thought of writing a newsletter <laughs> when I can't even write like our external one right now sounds scary so but that's cool anything else new in miss green's world oh you know what i did have someone hit me up on twitter about a project manager position so we are having that conversation i know that last episode i said that i hired someone but that doesn't mean we can't grow i told my team that we're done with new business for the rest of the year because we're booked up or we should be like estimate wise like we should be pretty much booked up and immediately after I said that, mm-hmm. I continued to sell and completely forgot that I had told them we're done with new business. And it didn't occur to me till like I was falling asleep at night. It's like, wait a second, what did I just do? So I also told my team that we might slow down on hiring since we've just brought on two people and we need to kind of get things in place. But super interested in kind of having a conversation with someone who found us through this podcast. So have that interview tomorrow. Cool. I think. I hope. I don't know. I live, I don't remember anything. I just kind of live life by my calendar but yeah that was super cool so like a podcast is working i think maybe yeah cool yeah small but mighty, mighty efforts. that's our goal small mighty but, efforts but just quality <laughs> yeah cool <laughs> love it cool man that's great so i have some questions that i've been pondering these are as much okay. questions for like me as they are for you they're things that i've been trying to just think through and as you probably already yeah. know, I'm very much a verbal processor. So I thought it might be fun to just cool. run through some of these with you and see, get your take and then just bounce yeah. some ideas off of each other. So one of the things in part inspired by the interview we did with Jose Nazario uh, a few weeks ago, where we were talking a lot about the difference between like early stage research and development and then like Mm -hmm. go to market Mm -hmm. you know the difference between those two realms in part inspired by some feedback from clients over the past year and in part inspired by our experience of working with this team on this Mm -hmm. like you know flutter Mm -hmm. template that has now turned into a fully functioning app i've been asking myself the question of whether we should focus on speed and velocity as Mm -hmm. a differentiator for crit. And I can't decide if focusing on speed is a good strategic decision for an agency. I think the risk is that you run the risk Mm -hmm. of like further commoditizing yourself. Like there will always be a team in the Ukraine or somewhere that will like be willing to push people really hard and have a culture of like just cranking shit out at a ridiculous pace. And I think by focusing on speed as your differentiator, you run the risk of like comparing yourself to that group of that type of company more and just making yourself feel like more of a commodity. On the other hand, the principles of like lean startup and 
agile methodology are like get things done quickly and smoothly and like get small chunks of work out as quickly as possible and test and iterate. Also thinking a little bit about that idea of like what will consumers always mm-hmm. want or what will never change. And I mean, if we're being honest, like consumers are almost always going to want things done faster, cheaper. Mm-hmm. Maybe not 100% true. Maybe there's some wiggle room in there. But this is kind of like the Amazon thing, right? Like people are always going to mm-hmm. want free shipping. They're always going to want faster shipping. They're always mm-hmm. going to want cheaper products. I think in our world, it's a little bit different, a little bit more nuanced. Like people don't want mm-hmm. cheaper if it means lower quality. But if you think about how can you do things faster while keeping the quality high, I think that is something that that most startups want. But again, is that also a factor of like, us being working with a lot of seed stage companies versus like series A, series B. So yeah, I don't know. Do you have any thoughts on speed as a differentiator when you're an agency? Yeah, I think I'm curious as to why this is crossing your mind. Like what market forces have caused you to think about this? For me, I think that like gut instinct saying, like I don't like telling people that we do things faster. I think... Because I do think we're just competing with like some other kind of white label, non-US agency that will push people to do things way faster at something. Like if our clients want it, like we have like average turnaround times for everything. And if our clients want it faster, we just charge a markup on it. And I think that's just, it's just how our pricing fluctuates, right? But I don't think we also run the risk when we do that of like, one, creating a culture of crunch within the company. And that's from video game dev agent firms. Like that always seems like a bad idea. And then two, I think it also incentivizes the wrong things in our own like teams. I also think there's like a certain association with like getting it done fast means that it's not done well too. So yeah, I guess from like a messaging standpoint, that seems worrisome. I think those are my initial thoughts there. Yeah, what's, what's yeah, so I, I think those are a lot of my same concerns as well. On the flip side, if you think about early stage R&D, mm-hmm. like research and development of products, mm-hmm. conventional wisdom is you want to want to get things out the door relatively quickly. Mm-hmm. And like in theory, the faster you get something out the door, again, theoretically, mm-hmm. lower risk, right? Because you've invested less time mm-hmm. and maybe you've invested less money, maybe you've invested the same amount of money but you now have more time to respond to the market's reaction. And I think, so part of this is, I guess, a little bit of an existential question of like, do we want to be a firm that is really good at early stage R&D? In which case, I think it does in some cases make sense to scale back the level of detail in your designs a little bit. Mm -hmm. It makes sense to try to leverage templates and pre-existing like sort of pre-built components and things like that mm-hmm. like there are ways if you're going to go that route to focus on just doing that and you do want to focus on being fast because you want to react quickly and test lots of ideas and mm-hmm. move quickly and, and kind of react yeah. and so that's less about necessarily messaging of saying like we're going to be faster than the other guys and more like what is necessary for a successful outcome. Mm-hmm. I guess maybe that's part of what I'm asking is like, is it necessary for a successful outcome to be fast? Yeah. And it might depend in large part on 
what your customer segment is and where you're coming in to projects and everything. Not counter-argument, but a slightly different take. So what you're saying makes sense, but I think that speed is not about working fast. It's like, you know, like that, like saying, like, don't work hard, work smart. I think it's like, don't work fast, work smart. I think the speed is a byproduct of being able to very intelligently set constraints around what needs to be delivered, right? Mm -hmm. Just like an early R&D thing. I don't think it's about like, what is the shortest amount of time as much as what is the bare minimum we need to do to communicate value through our product. And I think that if you're able to achieve the MVP based on the constraints you've set, I don't think you're sacrificing quality. I think that you are successful, right? Like it's where you kind of define success. Yeah, those are my thoughts. I don't know if that made any sense, but no, it does make sense. But I think what I'm asking is like, should we be reevaluating those constraints and like oh, I see. where we draw the line? Should we be pushing that line harder than we do right now? Yeah. And so trying to, because again, if in that R&D scenario, there are ways to move more quickly and accomplish more without compromising on quality too much. You mm-hmm. can use pre-built components or something to accomplish an idea. And you, like you said, you you narrow the scope of the idea mm-hmm. and then you can get something out the door quickly, mm-hmm. gauge the response and then react and then go through that next iteration. Mm-hmm. But then... Yeah, does that process end up being exhausting for your team? Yeah. Does that process, like you said, create that feeling of like we're always in crunch mode? Yeah. How do you create a sustainable mm-hmm. process that that still prioritizes speed or very specific constraints maybe mm-hmm. is a better way to say it than speed. Mm-hmm. And then again, I'm asking myself a lot of like, do we want to really come into play at that super early R&D stage or do we want to come into play more like when that R&D stage is somewhat done and companies are looking to like now apply that next level of polish mm-hmm. to take something to market and start to grow it beyond just that prototype mm-hmm. sort of phase. Yeah. And yeah, part of this is inspired by, again, like had a conversation with Jose Nazario where he was talking about realizing that he was really good at that early, early stage, but was kind of bad at that go-to-market stage. Mm-hmm. And so I started asking myself, okay, do we want to fall? Maybe we should narrow our focus to one or the other or maybe we should build out teams and one team focuses on one and one team focuses on the other mm-hmm. and then part of it is inspired by just having some sales conversations where people wanted stuff turned around yeah. really fast which is always going to be the case yeah. and sometimes it is a blessing to pass on those yeah. those projects with unreasonable timelines yeah. but then sometimes maybe where do you draw the line right like when do you say, no, we do need to rethink our process or rethink our constraints and start to push a little faster? Yeah, no, for sure. I think there's also a aspect of like managing. So in like our industry, right? I think there's an aspect of managing like client perception of what fast mm. means. I think we do well with client perception because more often than not, I try to buy my team a little bit more time. Let's say my client wants something done in five days. But like five days is the absolute limit and they want it done faster. Like I might tell them it will take four days if I know that it takes my team two or three days, if that makes any sense. Sure. Yeah, anyway, but I think it does kind of go back to like managing client perception. I think I think that like from proposals that we've sent, I usually try to guess whether or not my client wants it because it's like the three, what you said, right? People always want it fast, good or cheap. And I kind of am guessing on which of the two they really want and then like change my proposal based on that and internally project manage based on that, right? So 
if I know that my client would much rather want it fast and cheap, which is rare, I think. Like, I think that we would show earlier iterations to get it out faster for them. We've had clients that say like, oh, I really don't care for like the extra animation on the sites. Or like, I just want something on my website like tomorrow or something. So we'll explore. Yeah. Is there like an engagement or like a prospect that has made you start thinking more about this more? Or is it just purely because of the conversation with Jose? Or? No. So again, it's mm-hmm. it's like five different things. Okay. It's got, oh, just okay. a bunch of little inputs that have just got me sort of thinking about this and thinking about how much we want to prioritize speed in our de- design and development process. Mm-hmm. I guess maybe that's a better way of framing it. It's not so much is speed always good or bad because there's more nuance to it, mm-hmm. but just like how much do we want to push the speed factor? What mm-hmm. is the right amount to prioritize speed? And I guess what I'm hearing from you is that you adjust that from client to client. Mm-hmm. Whereas I'm looking more for like, what is the correct way of doing things? Mm-hmm. Is there like one way of one or two ways, depending on a couple of scenarios yeah, where we can sort of know what level of speed we're shooting for? Yeah, I don't know. Just mm-hmm. thinking about speed and whether it is a worthwhile goal or not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of the other questions that I have been thinking on is, so we've started to over the past probably year, been moving more and more away from, you know, we used to be sort of hourly, but we would sell kind of a block of hours Mm -hmm. for the month. Mm -hmm. And then we moved to kind of a day rate. And now we're really trying to move to more of a, an FTE rate Mm. where with clients, Mm -hmm. it's like, Hey, we're mapping out each month, kind of how many FTEs you're going to need to do the work. And then we're billing based on that number of FTEs, FTE standing for full-time equivalents. I know you've been thinking about creating a, I think you call it a seats model, yeah, yeah. which is kind of similar. And on the surface, it feels like a really simple thing to it's do. It's not. <laughs> it's, yeah, there's so much nuance to it. And so mm-hmm. months are different sizes. What do you do if like there's a little bit of design work you need here and then a lot of design work you need later? Mm-hmm thinking through some of those things is has been an interesting challenge. So I'm curious to hear how you're thinking about building out that seats model. Yeah. I got to say, I've recently been really hating the seats model and want to shift away from oh, it. Really? So. Why is that? <laughs> okay. So the, the story of why we ended up here is I had a conversation with the really, really awesome people at Latacora. Latacora is run by some of the people that kind of, in my opinion, like the originators of security consulting. And... Their model is like a headcount-based model. So they give us that advice. We kind of took that and ran with it. And it seemed like it worked quite well. It's really appealing to early-stage companies. I also just realized, because we are promising almost like incredibly wide scope of work because the value of a seat is that that whoever's sitting in that seat can switch out at any like day, hour, moment, as long as capacity makes sense. So... Like you can have a logo designer today, a web designer tomorrow, and then a developer the next day. And then, Mm -hmm. but I think now that I'm thinking about it, I think you're talking about almost like leasing out a specific developer. Is that correct? Or, yeah, some sort of hybrid there where it's like we'll sell FTEs in increments of like a quarter of an FTE. Mm -hmm. But the idea is that you have a quarter of a designer's time Mm -hmm. for 
that month mm. if you've bought a quarter of an FTE. Yeah. And you've got to kind of pre-commit to how many FTEs of which roles you want. And then we sort of assign one person mm-hmm. yeah, to that position. And so it's almost, it's a little bit more, again, this the danger here is you kind of drift into commoditization yep. world, but it's a little bit more staff hog yeah. kind of where it's like you're just got a spit, Actually, if you're really just making it one person, mm-hmm. some of the questions I've been asking are, okay, if a client has booked one FTE and then that person gets sick, mm-hmm. do the person we sort of have assigned to the project get sick? Should we be then backfilling mm-hmm. with someone else? But then that creates all sorts of capacity nightmares on our right. end. Right. If a project requires sort of a fluctuation in design work, like... Mm-hmm. There's a lot of design work for the first three months and then not a lot for the last three months. Mm. Or like you have some new feature coming down the pipeline that's going to take a lot more design work and the client's only booked a quarter of a design FTE for the next like three months. Mm -hmm. There's all these like intricacies that come into it of like, and I guess a lot of it comes down to how flexible are you willing to be? And we know we've got a quarter of a designer Mm -hmm. like sort of booked out. And it's less like, tracking all the little details and more focus we found it it allows us to focus more on milestones and like timelines it's because it's less okay how many hours did we say we were going to do and it's more just like no you've got 75 percent of this person's time Mm -hmm. however much time that is and they're gonna focus on your project for that time and really now all we're talking about is are we getting milestones done in a regular and a cadence that makes sense to both Mm -hmm. sides it puts more of the focus on the quality of the work and the cadence of the work and less on like how many hours did we say we were going to do versus how many did we end up doing. Mm -hmm. But the downside is there is a little bit more rigidity in some ways. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's interesting. To me, although it kind of sounds like you're almost selling like timeshares of someone. And yeah, it's interesting, right? Like the what if someone gets sick does kind of have, (laughs) have an effect. So to kind of tell you how we do it and whether or not this helps or doesn't help, the reason and why I have thought about moving away from it, there's two reasons. One is the idea of promising like 40 hours of one of my designers times to like we definitely are not large enough to do that with the amount of clients we currently have why to not? juggle. Well, we just have way more clients that we juggle than we have people for. Or sorry, like we can do all of it because I end up working 80 hour days where 40 hours are on the business and 40 hours are in the business. And that's possible. And I try to hire to kind of reduce that time. But I always oversell capacity because I know that I can always pick up the work. And I know that one of my other designers can always kind of pick up the work because he wants to be paid on like a per project hourly, like hourly estimate basis. So rather than like, like one of my designers who's been with us, like wants to, work more sometimes than 40 hours. Anyway, the idea of like promising like specifically one person's time to a project is very, very scary. Also because the only way our seat models work, because we sell it based on designers, right? We don't really sell it based on developers. So their jobs are less, like we don't sell a single brand designer's time. We sell, the only reason it works is because we have been lucky to hire some like really good multidisciplinary designers who can tackle your website and your product and your brand at the same time. I think from a developer standpoint, it does make sense, right? Like, hey, you can have like 40 hours of basically like a front-end developer's work. It's just that no one really needs 40 hours of like, on our side, like maybe someone needs 40 hours of a product designer's work, but 
probably not 40 hours of a graphic designer's time. Mm, okay. So, yeah. But then there's the timeshare concept. I think it's really that for us, everyone is so multidisciplinary. I think when I first started Miscreens, I took it from the perspective of a studio. And I think the difference between a studio and an agency is that a studio is like a very, very small group of designers who can cover, either they cover a lot of bases or they cover like one specific deliverable really, really well. And now we've kind of switched to an agency model. So it's changed quite a bit. Yeah. And what is the difference? Like, what do you see an agency as? I think an agency has a little bit more structure to it. Or an agency is larger. I think people are wearing less, are supposed to be at some point wearing less hats. I think people have specific jobs that fall into like different areas of client fulfillment. It's more arbitrary, but I think size is a little different. I think agencies have more like defined roles of for designers. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. Mm -hmm. Although almost all the bigger agencies I know also still have a little bit of that like mm -hmm. they've got kind of some freelancers they rely on yeah. for individual yeah. things, uh, you know, and they that are kind of outside of their normal scope. Yeah. Related to this is a question of like mm -hmm. how do you bill for project management time? Yeah. I think right now we are way under billing mm -hmm. for project management time. And part of that is because we are way under tracking mm -hmm. our project management time because so much of project management is like do this thing for 15 minutes then jump yeah. over here and do this thing for 10 minutes and then jump over here and do this thing for 30 minutes and so it's really hard to like ask someone to sit there and like turn a timer on and off mm -hmm. for all of those things like you end up with a bunch of like kind of yeah. dead time i guess what i'm saying is there's a, a good bit of mm -hmm. context switching required and so I think we end up kind of under tracking how much time we're actually spending on project management. So we've been debating if we do this new FTE model, mm. how do you bill for project management? Right. So for example, one idea was like, let's look at a, our project managers and say, okay, our project manager can handle like five concurrent projects at a time. So then we're just going to bill for a fifth of an FTE on all of those projects for a project manager at all times, regardless of what the rest of the work looks like. Mm -hmm. But then I don't know if that's truly accurate because I think some projects take more project management than others. And then it makes it very hard to sell small mm -hmm. FTE projects, which is maybe okay. Maybe we don't want a whole lot of those. Mm -hmm. But like that's a, a fifth or a quarter of an FTE for a project manager that's just like sort of your baseline. Is it easy to stomach if you're paying for two FTEs mm -hmm. on top of it? It's hard to stomach if you're only paying for a quarter or a half of an FTE. Mm -hmm on top of that because then it's like half of what I'm paying for is just going to project management. Mm -hmm. And the truth is project management is super fucking valuable mm -hmm. but it's sometimes hard to convey that value. Mm -hmm. So yeah, have you given any thought to how you all are going to bill for project management time especially mm -hmm. now that you have a dedicated project manager? Yeah, so we've actually always billed for project management time. Yeah. And the way I did it was thanks to a very cool friend who works at a consultancy a much larger one who told us how they do it at their security one they just charge an agency fee upfront. that's like this is about how much time it will take a project manager to break down all the work into a schedule and then help track that throughout and they just bill it upfront. so wait so you're saying that like when you start a project there's kind of like an initiation fee or something yeah yeah that's just like what you expect the project management to cost for the lifetime of the project. Yeah. And they pay that upfront when they first start working with you. Yeah. Oh, okay. So it's added to the bill and then they pay the first 50% of the entire bill upfront is how we usually do things. So mm -hmm. like technically it's the 50% of, but we add it to the bill upfront is probably a better way of saying it. Right. Hmm. 
and it's just like it's just now called like your agency fee or sometimes you know we've called it an onboarding fee is pretty much what we've used but internally like in my excel sheet of figuring out how to do like count money it's been called an agency fee interesting so again i'm thinking of things a little bit more in terms of like a three to six month project mm-hmm. and like sort of breaking it down month by month mm-hmm. um and so if i charged it half of that up front it would be a pretty hefty right which maybe is fine again maybe i need to get out of my own head mm-hmm. and maybe that's fine and clients don't mind paying that but or maybe you break it down by month or like why not just add an extra bit of margin that should cover like on average will cover the project manager's time mm-hmm. i think something like that is the way to go mm-hmm. but again that gets back at the problem of like right it's not a big deal for our bigger clients. It's a really big deal for our smaller clients mm-hmm. if they're paying like roughly the same mm-hmm. because then the proportionally to what the rest of their bill, it becomes like a much larger chunk. Mm-hmm. And that's the piece that I'm trying to solve. And mm-hmm. so maybe it's having two. Maybe it's having like, hey, this is a smaller project that doesn't require a whole lot of project management. So this is kind of our project management fee for small projects. Mm-hmm. And then this is our project management fee for larger projects. For me, smaller projects sound like they are shorter as well. Mm. So are they not? We have a couple of like long term. Maybe that is just the answer, right? Just because it's smaller, a little bit less. And maybe you don't get the full point of margin. Maybe it's half point margin difference. And maybe that's okay because it's not a very large contract to begin with. I guess like we haven't thought about it a lot because we have pretty much more or less charged the onboarding fee. That being said, right, I also see like, yes, we charge an onboarding fee, but also with our seat clients, it's not like they pay that onboarding fee later on. So like if they just renew with us constantly, the margins on that fee just disappear completely. And it cuts into like the actual project margin. But that being said, like the project margin can cover the project manage- manager's salary. Yeah, I don't know. This is a, I feel like we have to model it out to fully know. Yeah. Yeah. It's tricky. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Yeah. I feel like I am not answering any of your questions well. At all, I'm not. So. The thing about these kinds of yeah. questions is there is no definitive answer. It's just, yeah. you know, it depends so much on the situation and mm-hmm. how you're already doing things. And fair. so it's about the, mm-hmm. the journey, not the destination. That's fair. Is the project manager's time considered billable in the first place? Like internal? I think so. Okay. I think it absolutely should be. I think project management, and that has been a shift in my personal mindset Mm -hmm. over the last probably year and a half or so, Mm -hmm. in part because I think if it's not, then you're going to be tempted to kind of spread a project manager really thin or like Mm -hmm. reduce the amount of like time they spend on each project because, and I don't think that is a recipe for success in large, complicated technical projects. Mm -hmm. And also just because... I mean, yeah, the work doesn't get done without that project manager. Yeah. Now, I do think, again, there's a little bit of nuance to is all of their work billable? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Some of the work they do is more about kind of is less related to a specific project and getting that specific project done and more related to how do things move in the background and like mm-hmm. defining processes and some of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Does the client bear the bill for that? Right. Maybe not. Right. But at the same time, that work is critical to having the project done well. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure. Yeah, I guess like in my head, the work breakdown 
initially of all the estimates and everything like that has always made sense in making it billable to the client. And that's exactly where the onboarding fee comes from. And we essentially do that in the roadmap. our like roadmapping and design audit processes. Right. But we also involve like designers and developers a good bit mm-hmm. in those processes. Mm-hmm. So it's not just the project manager like breaking mm-hmm. like creating everything. It's them working with a designer or a developer mm-hmm. to build out the project plan. Mm-hmm. I think certainly some of their time is billable. Right. Is all of it billable? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like not sure. Are, is their stand-up time billed to a specific client? Like I don't or is it just built at your agency type of thing? What about an account manager? <sighs> I don't know, man. I just do all the account management. I don't bill myself. <laughs> that's, I mean, legit. Mm-hmm. I think that's how everyone starts. Like, that's yeah. how we've traditionally done it. Yeah. But I'm now looking at next year, I really want to hire an account manager. Mm-hmm. And if none of their time is billable, then that's a big expense that like digs into our margins right. in a pretty hefty way. Right. And again, that account manager is critical to the service mm-hmm. that the client is buying right. and the quality of that service that is provided. Right. A conversation for next episode. <laughs> cool. Anything else on your mind? The only thing on my mind has just been oh, you know what? It's just been like structure. Like we we're at seven people now. Which, by the way, I almost cried on that first standup with seven people. Like I came onto the uh, me being number seven, right? Like I was first of all, I was mm-hmm. late to my own standup, but <laughs> I joined and there's like oh wow, there's a lot of people here for a second, and it held back some tears. Didn't realize cool, we get there. Sorry, that all being said, we're growing fast. So we're still hiring and we're still bringing on more clients because I thought we would slow down. But now I have a problem and I, I'm addicted to selling, apparently. It's the only thing that gives oh, me God. dopamine. Oh, God. Being in California is like infecting. You're getting, <laughs> I know you're not in San Fran, but you're getting, you just said I'm addicted to selling. Like what kind of startup are you, John? <laughs> anyway, just adding more structure has been pretty like I think I literally told the team yesterday like the entire theme of this quarter is just going to be like structure like if any of us either gets hit by a bus or elopes and disappears off the planet like their stuff needs to be documented somewhere so that someone can eventually learn their position is and everything so I feel like that's been the theme of the last two years for us (laughs) (laughs) okay good to know that it takes time (laughs) we're slowly getting there okay yeah don't expect it to happen in a quarter damn you can make good progress Mm -hmm. but it won't be done gotcha will never be done gotcha gotcha cool how about you what's on your mind I feel like building the structure and the processes is I mean it's probably true in a in a SaaS startup but it is like the you know that is your product right Mm -hmm. like that is Mm -hmm. the equivalent of building the product in A SaaS company, and so if you're never working on new features of the product, then then you're gonna die off. Yeah, I think we've covered most of it. Okay, yeah. I mean, I'm always thinking about about other things, mm-hmm. <laughs> but we've covered a good bit. So let's wrap it there. Cool. I'll see you next time. All right, later, Sean. Peace. You just listened to Small Efforts, a podcast collaboration between Crit and Miscreants, hosted by Sean Sun and Andrew Askins. Sean is a hacker turned designer and the founder of Miscreants, a creative agency building memorable brand and product experiences for cybersecurity ventures. Andrew is an engineer turned CEO and the founder of Crit, a product design agency that helps cybersecurity founders create better products. If you enjoyed this podcast, rate us on Apple Podcasts and share it with your friends. You can check us out at smalleffortspod.com. Thanks for listening. See you next episode.